Hi, my name is Emily Texera, and I am the executive director of Politicit, a Portland-based nonpartisan nonprofit organization that strives to get parents involved in our civic discourse and democracy. I'll introduce you to Politicit more in depth in just a little while through a discussion with our founder, Miss Rachel Sovray. But first, I wanted to tell you a bit about the conversations I'm hosting here in our hour takeover um, on the airwaves as part of the Women's Day teaching. Women have always been involved in our civic discourse and our democracy here in the U.S., even if that has largely had to be from behind the scenes. But recently, we've seen more and more women become involved directly in leading movements, policy discourse, and even as elected officials and policymakers. What we haven't seen is the toll that often takes on women who are also primary caregivers to young children. And statistically, we know that in our country, women still bear the brunt of the responsibility for childcare and caregiving. I'm going to speak with three amazing women who are all mothers, change makers, and sheroes in their own right. Alyssa Andrade, a community organizer with Family Forward Oregon, Representative Dacia Graber from House District 28 and a firefighter, and Rachel Soray, the founder of Politicit. I hope you enjoy our discussions, and if you have any questions, I urge you to reach out to my guests or myself, and I invite you to learn more about Politicit and the ways we are trying to remove an often unspoken barrier to women's involvement in our democratic processes, the cost of childcare. Sit back, listen up, and enjoy. Thank you. Well, my name is Elisa Andrade Torres, and I am the Bilingual Organizing Director for Family Forward Oregon and Family Forward Action. And I have um, two boys and a 17-year-old stepdaughter. How old are your boys? Um, my boys are, I, I always have to think about it because I see them as little ones, and then I'm like, are they two? No, they're six and eight. <laughs> Oh, I have a seven and nine-year-old boy. <laughs> so it's that yeah. fun stage where they're in everything all the time. <laughs> they are definitely exploring um, their world. They explore it very differently. I, I experienced parenting um, different than um, when I was parenting um, my stepdaughter. Yeah, I tell people I always believed in nurture over nature. Um, mm -hmm. growing up and, and being a nanny through college and all of that. And then I had two boys <laughs> and I realized that no, nature really does play a lot into it. Yes. <laughs> so I, I absolutely know what you mean. It's a, it's a whole different um, experience. And, you know, I, as a female identifying white woman, I feel um, and my husband is also identifies as white, but I have a huge responsibility raising two white boys in our country um, to, you know, do justice to teaching them about all of the issues that will never impact them the way they impact everybody else. Yeah. Do you mind telling me the picture of what you guys do at Family Forward Oregon? Well, I think it's an amazing organization to work for. I always... Um, lead with how I came to Family Forward because I think yeah. that was a really interesting situation. <laughs> I had just had my second born um, in 2017 and I was working a part-time job 
and I was fairly new at that job, but I, it was a lower um, stress, lower responsibility as a, a previous job that I had. It was my first time coming back to work after having um, been away for a while. Um, and, but it was not really feeling that, I can't even explain it, that need to serve my community. I love to serve my community and many oftentimes I do it you know, whenever I, I serve anybody, I, I do it in the way that I wish my parents would have been served as immigrants here, monolingual Spanish speakers, mm-hmm. and not knowing the language, the system, and all of it. And like, this is how they would have needed to be helped, right? Yeah. And so I was there, um, and it just wasn't feeling that whole thing. But then I, and I was like, again, I, I was, it just had... Um, Eric, I still, we, we were, we, before we were a two income household. So I really needed to work. Um, even though my husband's like, well, we'll just, you know, figure it out. It's okay. Um, I just, I, I just can't, I, 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 I wanted to be a mother for the longest time, but I, I could also not just leave work as well. Um, and so, I got a, an email with shared from an other coworker who shared it to everybody that, you know, Family Forward was hiring. I had never heard of Family Forward in my life, didn't know what they were, what they did. Um, but then I went on to their website and I just like immediately had my main, my mind blown. <laughs> it was like I found things I didn't know I needed and was missing as a mother, as a uh, a working mother, um, as a BIPOC mother, immigrant, and just like all the things, right? And so I was right. like, yes, <laughs> theory of change, yes, theory, like all the things. It was like ding, ding, ding. I swear, it felt like I was seeing stars everywhere, just reading all this stuff that I was like, yes, this is this is what I'm dealing with, and I didn't even realize that these systems of oppression were so thick and heavy in that moment for me and that that's why I was struggling, you know, I couldn't, I didn't have child care um, the way I would have wanted it. I was blessed to have my mother who came and helped me and was, has always been there, but that shouldn't have to be her responsibility. Right. And, um, and so I just, you know, I applied and I remember um, our um, previous and um, founding e- executive director, Andrea Peluso, um, interviewed me with um, Reina Lopez, who was um, the current organizing director at the time, uh, to do a contract job for this um, safety nets campaign. And so it was only supposed to be three months and I thought, oh, well, I'll try it out. But I remember going to the interview and I said, okay, so like, I know I'm here for an interview, but I'm so excited, so committed to all the things that even if you don't hire me, that's okay, I, I'm i in. Like I <laughs> will do whatever, like I will volunteer. I will like, you know, the job will be like, if I get it, great. If not, I'm like, here, what, how do I get involved in this? <laughs> and I remember they were just like laughing. They're like, that's so awesome. I got hired mm-hmm. and um, I got asked to stay on a little bit longer than the, the, the contract over the yeah. summer. Now, mind you, my husband has a job that in the summer, it's their like peak season mm-hmm. of harvesting. And so he has a time that he starts, but he doesn't have a time when he ends. 
It's right. just whatever he's no longer quote unquote needed. Right. 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 It could be a 12 hour workday. It could be a 16, 18 hour workday. Right. So I become a single mother in the summer. And he was like, well, how are you going to do this? Because this is a summer job. Yeah. And so I convinced my mom who was backing me up on childcare to support me. And, and I told him how I, how, how we, how it would work out. And he's like, okay, that's what you feel like doing. That's okay. Um, just know that it's going to be hard for me to support you. And cause I'm like not here. Um, right. when he is there, he's not there because he's trying to recuperate from this long work day. Right. Certainly. So, um, we made it work and here I am. Yeah. Uh, I got hired on, I got asked to stay on a little bit longer and then finally I got offered a full-time position and I took it and have navigated. But that's to say that that's my way of coming here. And I think everybody that is working for Family Forward has their own type of like story behind it. And the founding of this organization was um, Andrea Peluso, Sharon Bernstein, and a group of other women that realized that becoming a mother was an oppressive situation and they could not imagine if this was happening to them as educated women, white, cisgendered women, um, how this could, how, how the impact of this would be for others that um, don't have the same privileges as they did. And so they, they started it on campaigning for paid leave, mm -hmm. which at the time was not, there was no paid leave. There's always been unpaid leave but right. not everybody take it and so then it took about 12 years for paid leave to actually get approved we currently have the best paid leave policy in all of the united states um mm -hmm. and it's actually took on implementation this year as of january 1st um, employees are contributing to the fund and as of september 1st um, the first beneficiaries can file um, paid leave cases so that they can take care of the loved ones. Um, and then, yeah, and so now we're in the childcare yeah. <laughs> struggle, which is, I we see it very, very similar to the paid leave struggle of like, people did not think this was an issue, but it is an issue, right? Yeah. It's a issue that affects everybody, regardless of whether they have children or not. Um, it's hard to see it that way when you don't have children. Um, and it's also hard to understand why people would not want this when you do have kids, right? You're like, well, this makes sense regardless of whether you have kids or not, but like I have kids, so I, I can see that how I can't see how people without kids would not want to, to do this. So when you say this, what do you mean? To do like childcare for all? To have, or? um, childcare as a basic to see childcare as a basic need for, for a child. Okay. Um, and I don't like yeah. to say a basic need for families because really the person that needs it is the child. Right. In order for a child to, to thrive, they need to be in a safe place, uh, a, you know, thriving place. And there, that looks different for different families and different kids also. So many people get stuck on when we say childcare, we think about a center, 
right. or a or a you know in home care center. But childcare can be many things. For my kids, childcare was their grandmother, mm-hmm. and that was what we could afford. That was what we could do, and at that time, that was the best. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's some people that don't have a grandmother and don't have an aunt or don't have a a long time best friend of their parents that that they trust. And so for 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 folks like that, then they don't have anything. And what's available right now is so difficult to navigate the the systems that are currently are existing are so difficult to navigate, to understand, and to actually, frankly, use. Because, you know, if uh, some people can qualify for ERDC, but there's not enough spaces. Like physically, right now, if I could wave my wand and say, we're just gonna, you know, pay for everybody's childcare in Oregon, well, that would be great, but I would need another wand that would have the infrastructure at, at physical locations for these kids to be cared for. And there, there's just not enough. So that means that not only is there a, a lack of funding mm-hmm. um, to subsidize childcare, there's a lack of infrastructure at every level. Right. The other thing that I, I talk about sometimes when I explain to um community about child care because they're always like hmm you know like I'm like child care is, is similar in some ways as if we in the United States had to worry about paying the teachers that are going to educate our kids how many kids would be educated really you know right. we have a pl- public education system for a reason right because it, it would be unaffordable unsustainable both for families and teachers, right? Like what right. would what would actually be a teacher's wage if they had to be paid by the parent? Um, so uh, not to say that, you know, the school system's a perfect system, but sure, that's just sure. an example of of kind of the the monster we're, we're, we're up against is this infrastructure issue. And then the, there's the whole um, culturally, um, and linguistically uh, appropriate care because my kids were are raised um, bilingual, bicultural, mm-hmm. but that means that their first language is Spanish. They're mm-hmm. um, they were sung in Spanish. They would learn to count in Spanish. Um, and then I and and we and actually we have two different results now. My youngest <laughs> is fully bilingual. He understand like. I would say he's fully bilingual. Mm-hmm. My oldest, he he struggles with English, even though we, we did the same thing, you know, talk mm-hmm. to him in Spanish. He got exposed more to both languages, though, our, our second one, because yeah. his brother had learned English by the time he was, you know, starting. Right. To, so I think, um, but just like ling- linguistically, um, yeah. culturally, it was really hard to find play dates and play, you know, for, for our son who again, was being raised bicultural, bilingual with, with different ways of thinking and uh, yeah. socializing and things like that. So that makes sense. So then I'm going to ask, because you work kind of in the realm of both um, thinking about caregiving and thinking about families, as well as obviously you guys work within the realms of policy. So what impact do you think that the availability or lack thereof 
has on civic participation oh or engagement? It, it's, it's huge. It's a huge impact. It's a huge barrier. It's a wall that just like our sixth sense <laughs> is there, but we don't have a picture of it. We can't smell it or touch it or, but we definitely feel it. Yeah. Right. And, um, being able to participate in um, politics or in informing these system changes requires um, number one child care because we're saying we're saying mothers or some type of um, offset of like the cost of having somebody else come and care for your your loved one while you go and do this fight for your right stuff. Right. Um, because it's not like you can just drop and say, okay, well, I'm going to go, you know, lobby for half a day or a full day at times. And, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you take care of yourself. <laughs> See you later. Um, There's some mac and cheese in the fridge. <laughs> right, right. And so, and it, it's regardless of whether you have kids, you know, childcare responsibilities, right. elder care. Absolutely. Any type, you know, mm-hmm. sick parents, sick family members, um, disab- you know, family members and loved ones with disabilities, somebody has to take care of them, right? Yeah. And so um, it's really important to be able to support caregivers, mothers and caregivers, um, so that they can participate. I can say that at Family Forward, the way we, we're doing it is making sure that we help um the most impacted because then everybody else will be followed. Yeah. Everybody else will, will, will get a, will get covered by that. Right. Um, yeah. I, I always and, like to remind people that we're, we're usually asking people to um, find a way for somebody else to do a job you already do for free so that you can <laughs> volunteer and do something else unpaid so that maybe something can change. And it's, it's kind of that moment of like, oh, right. I have to pay somebody so that I can be not paid. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's a, yeah. it's a leap that a lot of people forget about, but don't have to do it. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and it's definitely telling of who participates at times because, um, you know, there is people that have the privilege to be able yeah. to do this and not worry about it are present more than those that don't have that same privilege. Yeah. And um, if the plan, so it's really important to get those, those folks in, you know, participating because they're the ones that are most impacted. So if we can help them, everybody else will be helped by the policy or by the systems change. Yeah. A rising tide raises all ships. Right. Mm -hmm. I think um, the question I was going to ask you is, so if, let's say the playing field was leveled, or let's say that everybody did have childcare available or you know, um, elder care or whichever it was, are, and caregivers weren't missing out on these conversations. Can you think of like one or two policies you think would be different than they are currently? And if not, it's okay. It's just my weird thought experiment that I like to do sometimes of what would be <laughs> changed if the right voices were actually at the table? <laughs> Well, I think you would have to clear off all the barriers and childcare is not, is just one of those, like caregiving responsibilities is just one of those. Um, And then there is the whole like mental load that we're asking some of the people that are struggling the most, you know, health wise, mentally, 
You know, there's people that are that are stuck thinking about which bill they're going to pay. Right. And so then you come along here, you are with your clipboard as an organizer and say, hey, you want to fight for this thing? And it's you don't get paid. Right. And um, but if you do it, it'd be great because, you know, eventually we'll get something changed. Right. And people, you know, that's very real. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to pay my, my water bills. I don't have the mental capacity to actually do this right now. Yeah. And so then we're like, okay. Well, sorry to hear that. Bye. You know, yeah. Let us know when you do have the mental capacity <laughs> to do this, right? Right. Uh, that's never going to help, but that's never going to work. So at Family Forward, um, the way I thought about it was like, let's just let's just have people help the way they can help. Yeah. I mean, really, there there is no perfect volunteer because they all have their different needs, their different um, skill levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, strengths, you know, and so let's just let them do what they can do, yeah, both physically and mentally and financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be valued in the same level. Like it, you should not hold a, a you know, a supporter that gives you a, a one thousand dollar check at a higher value than that of a working farm worker woman, single mother, woman coming to phone bank for two hours. Right. Yeah. Right. Because each one of them has their own struggle, their own like thing, and they should be valued, valued the most, um, because they're giving you what from the heart, what they can give you. And, um, and so I have had volunteers that have never stepped a foot in any physical location. Yeah. Um, because they volunteered from afar mm-hmm. and that's okay. That's what they were able to do. And, and that made them made their work and their contribution really um, powerful, you know, and Absolutely. felt like they were part of this little, like they, they contributed their little grain of yeah. sand. But every grain adds up. Yes. And yeah. so um, really I think what it is, is developing, um, Organization wise, we we develop different things for people to plug into. It's a very plug and play, you know, like you can come to a lobby meeting. Great. That doesn't, you know, if uh, you can't come to the lobby meeting, awesome. Then here's this other thing that is possible and helping them do it. So it's not just let's teach you how to, you know, do a letter to the editor. You got this. Go ahead. Right. It's kind (laughs) of like you want to do a letter to the editor. Let me tell you how it is. Right. It's still intimating. Talk to me. I will type it up. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you still aren't sure. Like, let's get somebody else to look at this and you sign off on it. Right. And so enabling people to actually take those steps is what gets people to those tables. And it's it's some of the hardest work. Yeah. But I can tell you that it's some of the work that actually um develops the strongest roots for for our movement and mm-hmm. for the people in it so that it doesn't feel so transactional and that's where the whole transformational organizing aspect of our our work comes in is that we're not here to just have a transaction we're here to have develop a relationship based on where you're at mm-hmm. and based on the analysis that we have of what's needed and you're able to inform that as well so it's just a big old 
circle that has a lot of scaffolding that we have to do on our part as an organization to actually say, we're here to support you because like we can do a lot of that lip service of like, yes, you can do this. We can be your cheerleader. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we just need somebody to like actually take you um, under their wing and help you cross, cross the finish line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. My name is Dacia Graber and I am the state representative for house district 28, which is Southwest Portland and East Beaverton. Can you tell me what your other jobs are? (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess looking around right now, first and foremost, I'm a mom. Uh, And then my full-time job outside of the legislature is as a firefighter and paramedic, a job that I've been working for going on 23 years now. So uh, I I have some deep roots. (laughs) (laughs) You do indeed. So you do kind of um, caretaking at the unpaid level as a mom, Mm -hmm. um, at a sort of paid level as a paramedic EMT in a way, or short-term caretaking at least, um, and then sort of at the highest level as a policymaker. Does that sound kind of right? It does. And those are, those are the things that motivated to get me into the policy work too. Uh, you know, the, the caretaking for my community, the things that I was seeing. And of course, I think what every politician says, but we, we mean when you have children is wanting your kids to grow up in a better world. Fantastic. So my next question is, when did you, because you and I met years ago um, when we were both as just advocates. So when did you start really getting involved in advocacy work or politics or um, sort of policy community work? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've always been, uh, (laughs) I've always been a loud mouth that has opinions about things and wants to take care of folks and, and feel like it's our responsibility to stand up for folks, especially those um, who can't stand up for themselves sometimes. But you know, I hadn't like had any life ambitions to go into politics. I just, I liked activism. I was an activist from the time I can remember as a teenager even. But uh, when I, when I moved to Oregon and um, a couple of things happened. Uh, first, I became a stepmom to three kids. So I had four kids at home. And in the first year of living together, Sandy Cook happened. And I had kindergartners at the time. I had a kindergartner, first grader, second and fourth grader. And it was just devastating to experience that. And so that really, I was kind of one of the OG folks that said, okay, who's going to change this? And right out of the gate, they were actually called the million moms, which uh, was co-opted in another area. So uh, that became mom's demand. And I never was a state lead, but I I showed up all the time. And it was easy for me to draw a direct line from my experience as a mother, but also, you know, going on two decades as a firefighter where I saw uh, a firefighter and medic. And I I am sad to say, I can't remember how many gun deaths I have been present for. So it was an easy link to take those passions and start showing up and testifying in Salem and incredible to see that it worked. Uh, Additionally, I've always been a labor advocate and labor activist. I was chair for years of the equity and inclusion committee and was a real advocate for paid family leave here in Oregon was actually advocating for that because of, um, work I was doing with unhoused folks. And then my husband got cancer and we realized that, you know, there was no recourse. 
So, uh, yeah, yeah, long story short, um, being part of that, realizing that it worked, that those stories changed lives and changed policies. Uh, that's how I got into politics. And when the existing state rep for House District 35 at the time before redistricting told mm-hmm. me she was retiring, she she suggested that maybe I think about it. And at first I laughed because yeah. <laughs> full time and full-time firefighter, mom of four, uh, not a, not a ambitions for politics, and here I am uh, four years later. <laughs> <laughs> two terms in, right? <laughs> two terms, two terms. Um, so you have always been an activist. Do you think, you know, was there sort of ebbs and flows in your activism as your kids were little, as they were growing up? And what impacts, you know, because we're kind of looking at that intersection of childcare and women being involved and advocating for our communities. So what impact did, you know, availability or lack thereof have on your ability to advocate and be involved? It was huge. And, I, you know, my activism has definitely ebbed and flowed and changed as I'm able. But I think about the first few years that I went from being part-time to a professional firefighter. Um, I was living in Bellingham. I was recently divorced and I was essentially a single mom of a four-year-old. And I worked full-time for mm-hmm. childcare. That that was so I could pay for childcare so that I could work yeah. So that I could have benefits for my son and I, but I mean, for a brief period of time, we were on food stamps. We were, I had this incredible, you know, blue collar living wage job, but everything was going into childcare. So I had no access to activism at that point. My activism was my life was living the policies that we've decided on as a country where people are struggling to to stay afloat. And and yeah, so um, I got involved with my union in Bellingham at that time. And so I was able to bring my son to things, you know, places where I could bring my son um, in that space were helpful. And then I also early on incorporated him in some of my activism work. So we, you know, there are a couple cold weather snaps and we organize, you know, community uh, clothing drives for our local shelter. So I think my son has always grown up in that. And now my kids now, but uh, you know, there wasn't, I could never have served in office at that point in my life. It was a struggle just to figure out how I was going to buy groceries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we forget that, or not we forget because we have children, <laughs> but folks who don't have children and we as a country um, tend to forget how expensive childcare is. Um, and that's if you're able to find it. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to live in a town that had an early childhood education center. So I hired a student, this amazing woman, but you know, my shifts were 24 hours long. So I was paying for overnight childcare and it worked for us, but it was, you know, it was a definite determination to keep that career and to get through that point in my life. Yeah, absolutely. So now kind of shifting your kids now are all older, obviously (laughs) flying out of the nest. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) So now from your perspective, kind of as a legislator, what impact do you think having childcare or not has on the type of folks you hear from? Oh my gosh. Um, 
I look around, you know, Salem, and first of all, I, there are a few new folks in the legislature who are moms with kids in school, little kids, uh, elementary, middle school age kids, and I just don't know how they do it. It is incredible. I have a supportive partner. We only have one 16-year-old at home still, and it still feels like a lot. So the voices that are present can, you know it is remarkable to me. And then as far as hearings, you know, when we have testimony, it's one thing to have remote testimony, but to be able to show up in person, that is not a conducive environment to bring in your children. Um, it's, it's, I was kicked out of a room once because I had a kid that was crying. So I know this. <laughs> well, and, and those are the voices we need to hear. I mean, the policies were, you know, we're doing a child tax credit policy right now. Mm -hmm. And it was, an incredibly moving hearing, but we weren't able to pack the room full of people caring for their children because most of them were a either doing that or b working and trying to put food on their table. So we're we're not hearing from the right voices. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. So, do you think other than just at the legislature, but in general, do you think that a lack of child care, either accessible or affordable child care, keeps families from being heard? in the political discourse? Absolutely. And, you know, the cynic in me says that's almost by design sometimes. It's easier to pass policy without impacted people. And that's, like I said, incredibly dark and cynical. And we need to completely subvert that and turn that upside down. So um, however, and I know Politicit does amazing things to get people to the table uh, as we redesign. So the Capitol's undergoing construction here in Oregon. Uh -huh. And one of the things I would love to see is when we reopen eventually that there is a child care space, a child safe space for people to be able to decompress and not be in these hearing rooms and have available child care so that their voices can be heard. It it still doesn't get sometimes at the fundamental structural oh. uh, inequities of being able to testify of having that luxury and certainly being able to serve but I think we can keep dreaming and pushing towards this future. We know lack of access to childcare is one of the one of the things hampering economic growth in this state. I mean, we're doing okay, but we're not building up the future. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, obviously we completely agree that childcare is a barrier to participation. Um, and I know though that we both know that there are a million other barriers, sadly, but mm -hmm. for some reason, childcare feels like one that should be um, an easier one to chip away at. And, you know, speaking from my own experience as a mom who ended up being a stay at home mom for a while because we couldn't afford for me to work <laughs> with two kids that would need full time childcare, um, I think it's invisible a lot, the that barrier, and not just you know, invisible to people who don't have children, but, you know, as a mom, I'm sure you kind of feel the same. It's invisible even to us as parents a lot of times, and especially women, um, because we think we're supposed to be able to do it. We're supposed to be able to do all of it. Yeah. And, you know, as part of that too, we have to professionalize and incentivize childcare. Um, I think we treat our childcare, um, laborers as disposable and not worthy. And I cannot think of a more important job. Right. I mean, I'm a firefighter, right? Everyone treats me like a professional and gives me due respect. But I remember as that firefighter leaving my four-year-old in someone else's care, 
uh, she deserved that same sort of respect and income. And I, I did pay her a very fair wage, which is why I worked full time for childcare. But um, it, yeah. you know, that's a huge part of this piece too, is professionalizing that, incentivizing that, creating apprenticeships if we need to, and programs where we provide worth and societal value to that role. Yeah, I think I heard it from um, somebody who works in the childcare policy realm that we kind of, as you know, you and I are both identify as white or present at least as white women. Um, And especially as, you know, white women, we often forget that childcare has for centuries, not just been a woman's role, but often like women of color have been filling that role. Um, And so there's a lot of systemic and structural inequities involved in childcare, especially when it's caring for other people's children. Um, So it's a really, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) And I appreciate you pointing out how challenging it is to make childcare providers and care providers in general, a, you know, respected and needed profession and value them other than just by saying thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything that I didn't think to ask you or that you feel like would be a good thing to add into our discussion on this intersection of telling women to get involved and then saying, okay, good luck. Bye-bye. Um, this gets to a much deeper issue as well, but pay people. That's the other part of it. I mean, we're asking, and this is going to sound self-serving and I don't mean it to be, but pay people for their service. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a full-time legislator, even though we're a quote, part-time citizen legislature. Can I, I ask you, a, I'm going to interrupt you and I'm sorry, if yeah. you're, but how many hours do you generally work when you're you know, <laughs> as a legislator? I'm sorry, giggling right now. Um this year so far to say that I'm putting in 12 hour days every day, Monday through Friday is not an exaggeration with hours on the weekend. Um, sometimes it's longer. Sometimes I'm in my office till 1130 at night working on, you know, setting my committee up. Uh, I think even, but I have a very, I've taken on a very full load. Even the person who's just coming in and checking the boxes, yeah, they're doing at least eight hours. I mean, they're. What is our um, definition of part-time? usually? Oh, yes. So we are a citizen legislature. So, you know, that is to make it so normal citizens like you and I can serve, wink, wink. Uh, And it's, you know, so we are, we are in session in the long session about six months, and in the short session, 35 days, plus task forces, plus legislative days. But the reality is, um, we work year round on policy on constituent concerns, and so, you know, in the off session where where I'm not in Salem, I'm still doing this work. I'm still meeting with different groups and taking care of constituents. And uh, it is nonstop. And um, this last summer, for example, we had a workforce shortage as a firefighter. And so I was working sometimes mandatory 48-hour shifts. So after my 24 hours, they were like, you don't get to go home. We don't have anyone. You're held over. Sorry, the dog is snoring again. Um <laughs> And uh, and then so I'd work 48 hours, come home, and then my legislative meetings would start at 8 a.m. Yeah. So that is unsustainable. It is a pattern for burnout. And it's why we have a lot of state legislatures that reflect um, folks who are independently wealthy, retired, or, you know, not balancing all these different things. Yeah. And that's probably a large part of why 
not a lot, probably, definitely, because they said so, why a few of the legislators last year chose to resign. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I look at it right now. I mean, I'm in my second term. I only have one child at home still, but this is not a, it's not healthy or sustainable for my family as it is. So we yeah. need to invest. We need to put our money where our values are, especially as Democrats. Um, and that involves, you know, bringing those affected voices to the table it means we have to pay them. We have to pay our childcare workers. We live in a country with very lopsided, uh, economic values at times. And I think that, you know, I don't want to see a commercial about how much a corporation or people value childcare. I want to see that money going directly invested into it. Yeah. That's yeah. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to add to that because that's exactly, (laughs) I think how a lot of us feel. So I appreciate it. And I have to say, um, I'm going to fangirl for just a minute, but I really appreciate having legislators like you, even if you don't have small children right now, but who have that lived experience of not being able to do things because you had to work to pay for childcare um, and understanding that it it is something that bars access and that you're not hearing voices and that you, you keep that perspective in mind. I think that's um, important. I also think, unfortunately, it's probably unique. So thank you. Thank you. No, I I mean, as a committee chair now in a lot of these hearings, one of the first things I do when I come into my committee room is look around and A, see who's there, but B, take notice who's not there. Right. And it's it's the people that need to be there. So yeah. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate all the hard work you do for the state of Oregon. Um, and for, you know, everybody. So thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Politicit for what they're trying to do and moving the conversation forward. It's huge. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm Rachel Zauray. I founded Politicit back in 2019 um, in order to help make sure that we had more people involved in our democracy. Great. Can you um, tell me what you do when you're not being a founder of a nonprofit? Um, I'm a lawyer. Uh, everybody's favorite. And, and I am a mom. And now I am an Oregonian having lived here the longest of everywhere I have lived so far in the United States. Wonderful. So can you explain um, first what Politicit is and why you, what prompted it? What made you decide that that was something that was needed? Absolutely. So Politicit is a nonprofit that helps ensure that parents can be involved with our civic processes, whether it's talking to uh, elected official, going to a city council meeting, just being able to speak up about issues that impact them and their families. Um, and we do this by paying for childcare because childcare is expensive and it can be a barrier to people being part of those discussions. And we also have a second program called Child Care for Voters, in which we set up childcare with partner nonprofits in states like Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, and Florida, so that there is somewhere for parents to drop off their kids to have a safe place to play while they stand in line to vote. Um, And the reason it started was really that the lines in the presidential election that occurred prior to me starting this were on TV all the time. And it made me think about how my child was two and a half, three years old at the time. And there was uh, pretty much no way that I was going to be able to stand in line with him and vote if that voting line was longer than 
about 10 minutes with how his <laughs> energy level was. Um, and that made me think that probably other people had that problem with voting and therefore probably that trouble with getting engaged with those discussions about uh, policy and laws that impacted them on a daily basis. That makes sense. And I should, um, for all the listeners, give the obvious disclaimer that technically you are my boss <laughs> and that I work for you, but thankfully you are also still incredibly involved as the president of the board of directors. So thank you. Um, so we know when it started for Politicit, but where did you start it? How did it kind of come to be? Um, well, I guess the story is really, I was stewing over my thoughts on everything and just turned to my husband one morning in the kitchen and said, I have an idea. Stopped because that often means I have some idea that's going to create a little bit of change in what's going on in the <laughs> household. I told him I wanted to create this nonprofit. I had looked to see if there were other entities like it around the United States that I could get involved with, and there weren't. And so he said, okay. I had a few family members come and have pizza with me so I could figure out what they knew, what advice they had, having worked in, they'd worked in nonprofits. Uh, marketing, banking, that type of thing. Um, read a million books on it and then continued to just uh, move forward on filling out paperwork, getting people that I knew who had more information than me to help me figure things out. And then we got really lucky that we just happened to have uh, the YWCA offer to be our fiscal sponsor, which made it easier to get things moving since uh, they already had a structure for us. And we just had to focus on the programming itself while we got everything else put together. Um, so we launched in um, April of 2017. I believe so, yeah. April of 2017. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, our first client uh, signed up within a week and she started going to uh, city council meetings. I think they were budget meetings. Um, she was involved with the um, policy group for Apano. And eventually she... Uh, loved it enough that she ran for city council and won, which was really neat to have uh, one of our clients who was a mom of, I believe, three, mm -hmm. uh, suddenly also become so involved that she is actually on city council, helping make those decisions and ensure that as many people are involved as possible. Um, and from there, it just, it grew. <laughs> now we've got a lot more clients, a lot more partner organizations, whether they're policy groups, nonprofits, or PTAs. Um, it's been really, really exciting to see how much involvement we've been able to find around the communities, even with the pandemic being right in the middle of all of it. So. If you want to do a thought experiment with me and you can say no, it's okay. But <laughs> do you think that there are any sort of specific areas of policy that would maybe look differently if more women who don't have access to childcare, were able to be involved in the discussions. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Um, even just at like the small level of watching parents in school trying to advocate for their children's needs, mm -hmm. um, it's very clear that those who I'm seeing who are able to advocate most are those who have um, the access, the time, the money. Um, just they have more availability to be advocating for their children. Um, so I would imagine that the same would be true for just overall school policies made, made by school boards, uh, legislators discussing what types of healthcare should be required for um, 
children and families, uh, all sorts of things, I think would be impacted by hearing the voices of those who are unable to otherwise be in the room. Um, because there's certainly, there's a difference in what somebody decides to do if they're hearing from people who are actually affected by things rather than just hearing the statistics or reading the studies. It's just, it's very different to have that personal um, interaction with somebody who's experiencing it right now, rather than it feeling like it's a slightly removed academic piece. Absolutely. Well, and even as you said, I mean, with the example of our client who saw how changes were being made and, and decided to throw her hat in the ring and become one of those people who's crafting policy. Um, and, you know, I think that's the kind of like snowball effect that something as small as paying for a few hours of childcare can do for folks. Obviously, you and I are both passionate about this issue because <laughs> we're both involved. Um, but I mean, I think another question that obviously I would love to have numbers for, for, you know, founder funders and all of those kinds of things. But do you think that our organization that politicit and paying for childcare bit by bit even has made an impact in our communities? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's made a big difference in, first of all, people thinking about the fact that this is something I should be a part of and can be a part of. Um, it, it creates that thought process. I think it also, um, has had, the impact of allowing people to go speak with legislators, speak with city councilors. Um, it's been really fun seeing groups ensure that they have childcare at meetings so that people can engage in discussions about the types of policies that should be talked about. Um, and we've seen that increase in engagement for those groups. They've all reported it helps get more people there, if not doubling attendance. And so it absolutely has an impact. Um, I, I can't say, I know that because we did X, it turned into this policy absolutely changing, but I think it's hard to say that when more people are involved and more people at the table, it doesn't ensure that the policies are more representative of the communities. So I think it's absolutely. probably making a difference and we'll probably make a bigger one the more we're able to expand and get more people to know about it. That's Yeah, and I think that kind of know. leads to, yeah, I know. That's kind of leads to my next question, which, you know, is another two-parter because I like to be complicated. Um, and that's that, you know, obviously I think we see that it makes an impact in the way people view their ability to participate um, in our communities. But do you think, and part of it is as we grow and become a, and Politicit becomes a wider um, organization, do you think it also impacts the way organizations and maybe even like city governments and things like that are looking at their um, policies and the way that they are doing things and realizing because nobody's ever really talked about the fact that childcare is a barrier? Um, do you think they're realizing that that's a problem and that that conversation is also part of what's coming out of Politicit? Am I asking you a leading question? Probably yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, it helps you probably know the answer to it from the data that I passed on to you once you took over. <laughs> but, you know, one of the one of the really neat things about doing the outreach is seeing the um, interest, um, the, having that conversation about what does that look like? How can that help? Um, and then having others start reaching out to you, um, because once you've talked to one person in a government, they usually start spreading the word and then more people start reaching out and the same for the nonprofit arena. Um, so I think we have actually seen that it does spread quickly, um, so, which is <laughs> because uh, it, has, it has been really um 
nice to see that even though the pandemic was incredibly hard for a lot of reasons, it also sort of has highlighted areas like this for working parents, parents who are giving um, a lot of time caring for their children, caregivers of the elderly, whoever it is you're caring for, that has a big impact on your ability to be at things and finding ways to ensure that people can be more engaged seems to be a bigger part of the discussion now. Um, so hopefully that does continue and we can keep bolstering it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Sorry. I know my question was a little out there um, or leading or all over the place. And I always feel bad asking lawyers leading questions. Um <laughs> Because <laughs> you guys, I think that's what we on try them. to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> <It's appreciated. laughs> um, I guess so. That you know, the other part to that question was, where do you see or hope to see Politicit grow in the future or change in the future? Um, I mean, my my big dream would be it was eliminated entirely because we didn't need to tell people make sure you've got childcare available, make sure you've got options for people to be involved, right? I mean, that's the major goal. Is that it's no longer a barrier to find childcare or to pay for it. Right. Um, right. But until then, <laughs> I'd love to see that um, the program itself is able to support more parents and organizations throughout Oregon, hopefully expand to other states. We've had people reach out from across the United States asking if mm-hmm. we are there yet, when we will be, um, and just being able to support people everywhere uh, would be really cool, whether it's for the civic participation part or the voting. Um, hopefully voting lines are eliminated at some point too, um, so we won't have to do that program. But for now, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to expand as much as possible to support those who are trying to be involved um, until it's no longer necessary. That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, I actually read about and found out about a Georgia lawmaker who is trying to pass a law that people with um, children under five can skip the line at polling stations, um, which I think is amazing. And it's a great start, but we all in Oregon, especially we, we kind of don't remember or don't think about the bigger picture of it, that Georgia closes its schools on election day because that's where they do a lot of their polling stations. So it's great that we would make, you know, this law or this legislation could really help families with like little ones and toddlers. But then if they have like a five to 18 year old, what do they do? Um, And I think that's a a good start to the conversation. Um, But, you know, at least people are seeing it's an issue, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, access to the polls is so important. So it's great that people are coming up with solutions. Yeah. Um, Hopefully at some point, um, access to the polls just won't even be something we have to worry about beyond minor changes here and there, little tweaks. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, I think Oregon, you know, and this is me probably on a little bit of a soapbox, but Oregon definitely does it right, right? Like with the, the vote by mail seems to be a secure, helpful, amazing way to do things. So um, especially for families and people with, you know, mobility issues. Yeah. Um, the data supports it, that it's working. So yeah, the nonpartisan data. data. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess the next question is, how can listeners help with Politicist's mission? Well, um, lots of ways. Uh, one could volunteer with us, um, give us ideas of uh, who we should be reaching out to. There's, of course, the um, ability to donate. Nonprofits always need a little extra help. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're looking for ways to help, feel free to go to our website, politicit.org. Um, there is a link asking, how can I get involved? And we'll give you different options, ways to get in touch, to further look into the best ways that you can be um, helpful um, and make sure that we can keep growing. Yeah. 
and same place, right? Obviously I know this, but that people can go to find out how they can get our help if they want to be involved. Yep. Is Should have all the information. It we does. Did a <laughs> upgrade recently and <laughs> hopefully we have everything there now. And if not, it will reflect on my performance evaluation later. <laughs> Little things get missed all the time. So. Of course. No, it is all there. There are links to apply and all of that. And um, I know you know this, but I'm going to say it for the listeners is that it's a very quick, easy, and painless process that you can do from your mobile phone. So it's, it's definitely something to do if you want to be involved and you find that childcare costs are a barrier. By all means, please reach out to us. We would love to help you. Can you tell us how the program works for civic engagement in Oregon. Absolutely. So if you are a person who's thinking I could really use a little bit of help with the cost of childcare to get involved, you just go to the website, litisit.org, um, and there will be a link saying um, how to be a client. And you click on that, a form pops up, you just fill in your information so that we know that you want to be involved. And then Emily, our executive director, will get back to you saying, we're glad to have you in the program. And then from there on, you just fill out a second form that is also right there on the website um, about the events that you want to go to so that we can make sure that it's um, an event that we would sponsor um, and that it's um, it's one that we can fund. And once you've filled that form out, Emily will let you know if it's approved. And then afterwards, you just send back another form <laughs> saying that you did in fact uh, go to this event while using the childcare and we will send a check within 10 days or a PayPal payment within 48 hours. So we're supposed to make it um, as painless as possible, as quick as possible. Um, but if you have any um, issues or um, ideas for us on how to even make it easier, just let us know. Absolutely. And I will clarify uh, the PayPal, I think it's 48 business hours only because we have to work through our fiscal sponsors um, business office hours. So if it's a Saturday, Friday night, we can't get that out to you until Monday. Sorry. <laughs> well, thank you, Rachel. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy. Um, and obviously I also feel very passionate about the organization that you created. And I think it does make a huge difference. Um, we often tell women that they need to get involved and that they should be more politically active, but we forget a lot of the barriers that are there for a lot of folks. And this is just one, but I think it's a pretty big one. So I'm glad that it's something that you thought of and that you're working on. Well, thanks. I'm glad that you've taken over and you've already started growing it bigger than I would have been able to. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, thanks. <laughs>